853 students as of today in our Bible Institute from all over the world, and uh, which is kind of cool. The, uh, the, the uh, Bible Institute has 117 courses in it, I think. So there's courses from all over that we've, we've collected in there. If you take 20 courses and complete them, you can earn an associate's degree. If you take 40 and complete them, you can get a bachelor's degree in ministry. All of it's free. Um, you can just go and take classes just for the sake of learning if you want. And um, we also, we're doing courses right now on Wednesday night. This is a course. And our weekends are also part of a course. Um, we bundle them all together and add a final and some other stuff. So if you want to take any of these, you certainly can. Just register at the Bible Institute and join the 853 students that are already there working uh, towards degrees, as I said, all over the world. So we um, right now are doing an Old Testament survey. Um, this, uh, by the time we complete the Old Testament survey, we'll have done three courses because we're going to break them up and we're getting near the end of the first part. Um, we'll probably have two more lessons in this first part of the Old Testament survey. And we, are, we worked our way through all the way up to 1 Samuel. Um, amazing stuff is happening in 1 Samuel. There's a lot to cover, and so that's why it's not happening in a week the way some of the other books have gone. And um, we're going to start moving into now uh, our coverage of the period of the monarchy. And um, if you remember last week, we, we left in 1 Samuel 8 where the people were demanding a king. And let me read that to you again, 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 22. Uh, he said, This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves, and give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you yourself, you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. And then Samuel said to the men of Israel, Everyone go back to his own town. So um, here, here's what's happening. We, we looked at some verses last week too. Um, that this, We knew this was coming from back in Deuteronomy. There was a time this was prophesied that this would happen when the people would reject God as king. And that's what they're doing. And what they want is to be like everybody else, all the other nations, and they want to have a king over them. And Samuel tells them, look, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be miserable if you've got a king. No, we want a king just like everybody else. And, and so God is going to give them what they want, um, e- even in this process, even though, you know, it's a whole situation. But it starts this now line of kings that we're going to trace. And... Uh, if you remember, too, I said last week that the, the kings were told not to multiply to themselves uh, horses and wives and money. And every single king that we'll read about does that except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who ever fits that bill because he's the only true king. And, uh, 
And yet we're going to see this line of kings that are going to lead us to Jesus over time in the right lineage from David. So the, the, the period of the monarchy starts and um, there, there's going to be 120 years where the nation of Israel holds together under this monarchy. Uh, and, and so the first 40 years are under Saul. The next 40 years are under David. And the third set of 40 years is under Solomon. And so that period of time is known as the period of the United Monarchy. That historically, um, this 120-year period that we're about to enter into uh, in our study is, uh, is that when the, the whole sort of kingdom stays together. And that starts in about 1050 B.C. So if you, if you like to make little notes in your Bible, we're, we're right around 1050 B.C. And, and this is when Saul is anointed as the first king by Samuel. And I said, Saul reigns 40 years, and David is crowned king in 1010 B.C., and he reigns 40 years, and Solomon is crowned king in 970 B.C., and he reigns 40 years. And then at the end of um, Solomon's reign, you're at the year about 931 B.C., the kingdom is divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, Jeroboam is king, and in the southern kingdom, Rehoboam. Uh, and that's very confusing as it starts, Jeroboam and Rehoboam and Rehoboam because their names start. And the way uh, the kings are recorded, especially when you start getting into First and Second Kings and the Chronicles, in the in the way that they're written, they're popping back and forth between the two different kingdoms, and it's kind of hard to track sometimes. But um, the the two kingdoms run together from uh, for about 200 years. And then in 722, the Assyrians come and they disperse the northern kingdom into the nations. And then in 586 B.C., that's when the Babylonians come and they they take Judah into captivity, the southern kingdom uh, into captivity. And we've talked a lot about the Babylonian captivity. And then if you remember, they're in exile for 70 years and then they're sent back and things start happening then. But anyway, all that's happening as we move into 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, In verse 2, he has a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So Saul, the first king, is a pretty impressive looking individual, and he's tall. And in chapter 10, 17 through 25, Samuel summons the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and says to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt. And all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan. And Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. And Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. So um, Saul is anointed king and, and apparently he really initially doesn't want the job because he's hiding in the, <laughs> hiding in the luggage. 
And he's taller than everybody else, too. It's kind of funny the way that whole thing is written. Um, but they, they want a king. And they, they want a king to fight their battles for them. They, they, you know, they just want to be like everybody else. And so Saul is selected king in this whole process. And so they made him king. Long live the king. They were like everybody else. And they all go back to their own homes. But um, in chapter 11, there's a battle. Um, somebody's coming to attack them. And so they look at Saul now like, well, you're the king. Go do something about it. And in verses 1 of uh, Samuel 11, it says, uh, Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead. And all of the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us and we'll be subject to you. But uh, Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. So that was the, that was the conditions of peace. And... Uh, uh, the elders of Jabesh said, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. And if no one comes or rescue, rescue us, we'll surrender to you. So they said, well, let's, let's think about that. Give us a week. <laughs> I don't know about you, but they want to gouge the right eye of everybody. That's, that's not a good situation. But it, 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 here's the situation. And so uh, that's what they're dealt with. And they're going to send some word out and see if anybody comes. I guess they're, they're opening that Saul is going to show up. Uh, verse 6 or 8, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. And he took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. And when Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. Now, there's actually sort of a prophetic hint in that verse about the future split or division in the kingdoms. They're already sort of looking at themselves a little separately, even in the very beginning. And, and so that's, that's there in the beginning of this process. And then verse 14 of chapter 11, Samuel says to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there reaffirm the kingship. And so all of Israel comes to fight this battle, so the people don't have to get their right, right eyes gouged out in the process and uh, that's a very good thing you can read chapter 12 it's sort of a historical narrative that Samuel gives about things that are happening you move into verse 13 and what's what begins to happen is Saul starts to get a little um, settled in being king and he starts to get arrogant and he quits listening to the things that Samuel is telling him from the Lord and he just starts kind of doing what he wants to do. Now, we, we know that's going to happen, but uh, it happens pretty quickly with um, Samuel. And so he, the first thing he does is, is that uh, he, he doesn't follow through with what he's supposed to do. Verse 11, what have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, that you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. So uh, the, the king wasn't supposed to be doing the, the priest and the prophet's job. He was just supposed to be the king. And he steps in and does something that he shouldn't do. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So that's the first instance where we start to understand there's going to be another king, and that will be David. Remember, David is the lineage that we we trace Jesus through. Verse 16, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying at Gibeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistines' camp in three detachments. One turns towards Oprah, Oprah in the vicinity of Shual, another toward Beth Haran, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboim, facing the desert. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So this wasn't a very well-equipped army at this point in time. Um, the Philistines had been over them for quite some time at this process, and they had kind of smartly... Um, not allowed blacksmiths to be, so there weren't any. So they couldn't make weapons. And uh, what blacksmithing that they needed done, they had to go to the Philistines to get done and pay them for it. So we were engaged now in battle without being very well prepared in the process. And uh, if they're not trusting in the Lord, it doesn't work out well from them, for them very often. Now, Saul is also supposed to, God wants Saul to, to deal with the Amalekites um, who had really treated Israel poorly previously back in Deuteronomy 25. Let me read that to you. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you and the land he's given you, you, you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. So because of what the Amalekites had done to the people of Israel, they were going to get taken care of once they had occupied the promised land. And so now they're in there, and it's time to deal with the Amalekites. First Samuel 15:1 through 3. Samuel says to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And, and again, this is in response to what the Amalekites had done to the Israelites 300 years earlier, 1446 B.C. in Exodus 17. Sometimes when people read the Old Testament, they struggle with, um, and I understand it, they struggle with God being able to tell them to wipe out completely an entire people. Uh, and um, it's... I get it. That's, it's hard for us to grasp that concept. But um, the people that get sort of pointed out like that have so completely turned from God and are so um, immersed in evil from child sacrifice to, uh, you name it, every, every evil thing under the sun. And, and that, that he had told his people on the way into the promised land that there were groups of people that needed to be dealt with or else they would corrupt his people. And because Israelite, the Israelites don't deal with them then, they continue to corrupt 
his people. And, and so Saul goes into battle, but he doesn't do, he doesn't do the completely destroy thing in the process. In, in fact, um, they keep quite a bit of the livestock alive, and he actually doesn't take care of the king either. He keeps him alive to sort of gloat over the whole process. This is a big significant problem. Verse 10 through 23, The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel and there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So do you see a problem that he's sort of gone from hiding amongst the luggage to building monuments to himself in a fairly short period of time? When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and what is the lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answers, he's going to blame shift here. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. So they didn't do as they were told. They started to make compromises um, to benefit themselves. And that's always trouble. That's where we all get in trouble. It's when we start trying to compromise the word of God. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. The Amalekites make war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the sight of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission of the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. So he was supposed to completely destroy him, but he keeps the king alive, for one thing. Because that's what kings used to do back then. They would keep the kings alive, they would bring them back, and then they would usually gouge their eyes out and cut off their thumbs. I, I don't know why. And then keep them around uh, in the process. Um, the soldiers, he's blaming the soldiers, took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, Saul looks like he's about to repent, which is what God wants from all of us when we sin. But his, it's not, he's not repenting from a place of godly sorrow. You're gonna, when we read about David, David sins horrifically, um, but he repents. But he has a true repentance. Um, the idea about repentance is that there's change, right? Repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is completely moving in a different direction. It's change. Um, and so not only do we feel a sorrow, but that sorrow causes us to want to change and do things differently. Well, what's, what happens here with Saul, verse 24, 15 of chapter 15. Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Sounds fairly repentant. 
But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. That was a big problem. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please, and here's what he's, what he's wanting, honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I worship the Lord your God. So the, the reason that he's asking for forgiveness is so that he um, maintains his place of honor in the eyes of the people, not because he's really sorry for what he's done. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. And then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently, thinking, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so you, so you will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. So um, here you see the, you know, the story of Saul, um, who started out humbly enough, but it, the whole idea of being king quickly went to his head, and he started completely doing the things his own way and doing what he wanted to do. Then in uh, chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your home with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And then um, verse 6 and 7, this is interesting because the first son that Samuel sees is Eliab, and he thinks by looking at him that he's supposed to be king. But uh, here's what happens. When they arrive, verse 6, when they arrived... Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's a great passage. That's a great verse. Um, We have a tendency to look at sort of the surface of things, but God deals with what's going on in here. And that's what he's looking for in all of us. And so all of the sons of Jesse came by, and none of them were right. And in verse 11, so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in, and he was ruddy. You know you know what they think uh, that, that word ruddy means? That he, he was redheaded. I like that because I used to be redheaded at one point. And then my, most redheads, it fades into whatever it is now, which is not red. <laughs> uh, with a fine appearance and handsome features, and then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah. Um, there's a, in Psalm 78, it records that whole process. Verse 70, He chose David his servant, took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. So um, he's anointed king 
but uh, he is not king yet. And so the, these happen at different times. And actually, he's going to wait 15 years before he becomes King David. He's anointed king at this moment by, by Samuel, by the Lord. Uh, and yet Saul's not going to go away that quickly. And for the next 15 years, he's going to have a pretty strange relationship with David where he draws him close and then he tries to kill him <laughs> numerous times. And then David has to go and hide in caves and Saul tracks him down and spends most of his life trying to track him down to kill him um, in the process. And um, Saul's son Jonathan, Jonathan and David become very close friends in this whole process. And so he's sort of looking out for him as well, um, which is, says something about Jonathan because in effect... If Saul remains king and there's no David, Jonathan would have been the next king. But uh, Jonathan has some integrity that Saul didn't have. And then um, chapter 17 records the story of Goliath. It's a great story. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp and he was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, and on his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back, and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Why Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects, but if I overcome him and kill him... You'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defied the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. As you can imagine, you've got a giant shouting threats at you. wants to go one-on-one. Uh, kind of an unfair deal in the eyes of the Israelites. But by this time now they're looking to Saul and they're not looking to God anymore. And that's the, you know, we get in that way too sometimes that our situations feel like giants, but we forget that, that we've got God with us. And uh, in verse 20 of chapter 17, early in the morning David left the flock with a shepherd, looked up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth... To the man who kills him, he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. And David asked the men standing um, near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab... David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. 
what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And then, you know, the story goes on in verse 40. And, uh, you know, Saul tries to put his armor on him, but it doesn't fit. And David says, I'm not wearing these. I'm just going to go trusting the Lord. And he grabs a few stones and uh, puts them in a pouch. And he heads out and faces the, the, the giant Goliath. And, uh, you know, Goliath is like, why would you send a boy out here? And, I, you know, I like what David says of this is verse 45. You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. And sure enough, he reaches in, you know the story, whips the rock at him, hits him in the head, kills Goliath, goes and chops his head off, um, with the with the big giant sword, and um, when the Philistines saw that, they took off and ran, and so it was a great victory uh, in that process. All right, I can't do any more today. It's 7:57, so uh, I got more, but we're gonna save it. That's the advantage of doing it week after week. We can come back to it. So if you're watching my video, thanks for watching, and uh, we'll pick it up when we get together next time. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.